hello there, and welcome back to another episode of The Break. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting every week with a mix of topics. Today, we're going to talk about the upcoming celebration, the Star Wars celebration in London that I'm going to travel to, and maybe some big announcements that are rumored, and of course, about many other topics. So stick around. This show is is offered to you, and I'm able to do this this kind of stuff for you because of my patrons. They support me every single month with a micro donation, and um, it, it's a very small percentage, as you know, of the total amount of listeners. If you're listening to this, if you're hearing my voice, you are probably part of the 95% of the listeners that like what I do, but are not supporting me uh, financially. And that is not to to blame you of anything. I know that for many people, you're listening to a ton of podcasts. You, you couldn't possibly support every podcaster. But however, if you really want to support my mission, my outreach to people that may never come across a priest that talks about geek culture, um, I could use your help. So if, if it is possible to help, um, but you just never came around to doing it, well, let me give you one reason to do so, and that is if you become a member of my Patreon community, you will get access to, I think, one of the funnest places in the world. Okay, that's her hyperbole, <laughs> but it is a great place, and that is my Discord server. I deliberately didn't open it. A Discord server, by the way, is kind of like a forum, uh, a platform where people can, can talk to each other about a whole slew of, of different topics. And um, you can do that, of course, everywhere. You can go to Reddit. You can talk about stuff on Twitter or Mastodon or on Facebook. The thing is, a lot of these platforms are kind of like wide open. And you know what happens when everybody can join the conversation. Sometimes you get a lot of feedback that is not very nice. And so I wanted to create a, a place where people are safe, where we really make sure that people can feel at ease. They can just talk about about geek stuff, about video games, about movies that they've seen or books, uh, but they can also talk about more personal things without the risk of exposing them to the entire world and to, you know, the trolls that are out there. And so I'm very, very proud of that community that we've built there and, and the overall atmosphere there. And I know that those of you that are already part of the of the Patreon community and are are joining the conversation on Discord, I, 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 you know, you know what I'm saying, right? The water is nice. Please join us. Tip in your toe. And the way you can do that is by going to Patreon.com/slash/FatherRoderick and by signing up. Just a tiny micro donations, but all those little donations go a long way to helping me to continue to do this ministry. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. All right, and the first news of today is uh, that I can welcome three new patrons. Uh, we've got Michael Musil, I hope I... Maybe it's Musiel, I don't know, it could be French originally. So Michael, welcome. Ricardo Suarez, uh, welcome also. And uh, Ajani Robinson, I'm so happy to welcome three new members of the Patreon community. And then of course, we're getting closer to the Star Wars celebration. I got an, uh, an email the other day, well actually a couple of days ago, and they said that finally we can start applying for the panels. Now, if you've never been to a Star Wars celebration, this is how it works. It's a huge, huge kind of expo 
gathering, um, and there is like a main floor that is where you can you can buy stuff. It's full of of uh, uh, presentations and stands of, of fans and, and and people that are selling merchandise. And that's where a lot of the usual traffic goes all day long. Then you have a specialized section where it's for the collectors. That's where you can buy your your exclusive pins and your like very rare Star Wars uh, merchandise. And and there are tons of people that wait in line for like entire days just to get that one little thing that was still missing in there from their collection. And then you've got and and this is this is for me uh, the most exciting part. It's, it's the panels. And this can be either in a huge space, like last year in Anaheim, they had this massive, massive arena. It's what you normally have for like a pop concert. There's this huge stage uh, with a screen where they can project trailers and, and snippets. And then um, there are, I don't know, five, six, maybe 10,000 people in there. Well, 10,000 maybe a lot, but thousands of fans that get in and those the big halls usually for the big announcements or the bit you know where you've got the celebrities like last year i was so lucky to be there during one of the panels where we had harrison ford who came up um and and john williams who actually performed um duel of the fates and uh the theme of of indiana jones and that sort of stuff so that of course everybody wants to go there and then you've got the smaller um sessions where it's usually uh, like a kind of a q a type of this this resembles more uh the comic-con panels that you know so it is for instance a panel about the mandalorian or one about ahsoka or about the bad batch and you will have the creators there and sometimes the voice artist or the motion capture artist or whatever. And they will talk about their experience. And sometimes sometimes they will reveal little snippets of what's to come. And that, of course, makes it worthwhile. And then you have kind of the, the, the writers, for instance, of the, the Star Wars novels or the, um, the people that are involved in special effects or puppetry. And they tell stories. Sometimes it's like people from the early, early years of star wars that are then you know greeted as celebrities because everybody knows their work now whereas at the time you know they felt they were working on a super low budget movie that probably no one would ever seen and now they, <laughs> they are heralded as like the, the 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 famous people that built the foundation for the Star Wars universe that we enjoy so much. Um, so the thing is with these panels, there's always way more demand for these panels than there are seats in the arena or in the smaller rooms. And so you have to apply for them and then they have a lottery. I'm glad that they do it like that. It's random. So it's not pay to play. Otherwise it would be, you know, it's already... Um, quite expensive to 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 join the Star Wars celebration. The tickets are are pretty expensive. Expensive. They did have some like early bird tickets, but a very very small amount, and they sold out in like five seconds. And then the rest of us we had to pay for every individual day. Um, I don't know how much it was, like seventy pounds per day. Now, if it's just one day, seventy pounds, okay, it's. It's not cheap, but okay, well, I, if you go to an amusement park, you would probably pay more, right? But this is, of course, a four-day event. 
So it's four times that amount. Yeah, it's it's not cheap. Um, I was I was uh, able to book a very cheap hotel, really affordable hotel. The downside is it's on the outskirts of London, so I'll have to travel about an hour by public transport to get to the uh, to the the Star Wars celebration itself. Um, but at least that saves me hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Um, and, and then, of course, you can make it as expensive as you want. Uh, if, if you um, you know uh, use the occasion to go and explore London and eat in expensive restaurants or pay, pay a lot of money on, on merchandise, I usually try to keep it as low budget as possible. However, that those panels, oh, I so hope that I can get into one of the big ones. Um, this has to do with um, some of the things that I'm excited about, and we'll talk about it in, in a minute during my movies and TV segment, uh, because it's usually during those panels that they do the announcement. So there's this lottery, you have to apply a few days, or actually around this time, so if you've not checked your email and you're going to the celebration, make sure to apply, <laughs> otherwise you know, the lottery will be over and it will be impossible to get in. So I'm just going to apply for all the panels and just wait and see if if I get into any. If not, that's fine with me as well. Last year, I was super lucky. I went to a ton of panels, but I know it's just luck. And sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not. For me, the biggest reason to go to Star Wars Celebration is is the encounters. It's the conversations that you have. It's to meet people that I've never seen in my life before, but we know each other from YouTube, from the podcast, from the reaction videos, and and that for me is always the greatest joy. There's going to be a whole regiment of of, um, cosplayers from the Netherlands, my friends from the 501st, the Dutch garrison division of the 501st Legion. So uh, some of them are coming in costume, others just uh, like me, uh, anonymously. (laughs) And I love these people. I've been uh, friends with them for for over a decade now. We always encounter each other during the big uh, Star Wars uh, premieres. Uh, previously, it was for movies. Now they do even premieres for the television shows on on Disney Plus. And with many of them, I have a very very good bond, and uh, it's it's so great to be able to hang out with people that you know and just. Talk Star Wars all day long. <laughs> it's, it's a huge Star Wars themed vacation. So um, I, I'm currently trying to also to to put things in place because it's, I'm going uh, by boat. So I'm not taking the air, the uh, the plane for multiple reasons. First of all. The plane is a, is barely cheaper than the boat. Boat actually is very affordable, but I love going by boat. I've done it several times now. It's it feels like an adventure. It's like I'm never on a boat, and and so it's this whole I don't know. I I just love the experience, and then of course it's it's much better for the environment. It's it's of course it's not public transport, but a a, a boat compared to an airplane is a lot, lot less polluting. And then from from where I arrive, which is Harwich, I think, I can take the train, go to London, but because I'm making this journey, and I'm, I've never been in this southern part of the UK. I've, I've been to the middle part and to Scotland mostly, but I've never been to the to the area around London, that entire part of, of, of the UK is unknown to me. So I would like to extend my stay a little bit more, the 
the celebration is just four days. And so Michiel and Liz, who are patrons, and uh, they've visited me several times here in the Netherlands, they've invited me to come over and visit them um, in Leicester. So I'm planning to do that, and it's just going to be great to have a place to stay, hang out there with friends, and and discover that part of the UK. Um, so I'm probably going to take the train first, just take the boat, take the train to London, from London to Leicester, stay a couple of days there, and then return to London, and then go back home, something like that. I haven't really fixed the dates yet, but um, it's, it's going to be great. Now, of course, since I'll be staying a little bit longer in the UK, I'm not going to, you know, take all sorts of stuff with me, like costumes or Stormtrooper costumes or whatever. That will have to wait for another time. Um, I'm going to travel light. I, of course, I'm going to take my camera equipment with me and my microphones because, again, this is an adventure that I don't want to keep for myself. And so I, if, if you're following me on YouTube, then you will see lots of updates, hopefully, from, from the UK before and during and after the event. So make sure you're subscribed to my YouTube channel over at uh, Father Roderick. Um, so, yeah, th so that's what's going on currently in my life. I am so glad that I have more energy these days. Uh, like, if, if you've been listening to the previous few episodes, you you uh, uh, you will know that I've struggled with with like very severe fatigue, which would be there all of a sudden, and it would completely knock me down, and then it would be gone the next day. It's very um, uh, difficult to to predict. However, I've been curating my sleep extra carefully uh, during this time of Lent. Actually, it's one of my Lenten sacrifices, if you can call it that. So a lot of people will sac make small sacrifices during Lent. They won't eat cookies or, I don't know, uh, no meat on Fridays. Obviously, that's, that's, that's kind of stuff that everybody does. I was like thinking, I need to do something that can really help me um, to, and it, so it's a, it's a form of discipline. I go to bed, um, at a time that I can have eight hours of sleep every night. I've been able to have eight hours of sleep for the last seven days in a row, which is unheard of. I never have that. Um, and so it means I go to bed a bit earlier and I stay in bed if I haven't uh, slept for for eight hours yet, which is also a bit of a sacrifice because usually I wake up in the morning and I have a ton of things that I want to go and do, and so it's hard to maintain that discipline of, of trying to get my eight hours in. But the results have been amazing. Like, I have so much more energy. Like And also, my, my entire day feels more even in terms of energy. Sometimes I would have these lapses in the afternoon. None of that. At least so far, so good. I, I don't know if this is, if this is a, like a major change that will last, but the, the, my overall energy levels and also kind of my peace of mind, my, my creative energy is back. And I think it all has to do with that discipline of, of sleeping for eight hours. And I can really use the energy because, well, as you can imagine, there's a lot of stuff to prepare for if you go on a, on a longer journey like that uh, across the pond. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking 
puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. All right. In a minute, we'll talk about what may be in store for us, Star Wars fans, at the Star Wars celebration. But first of all, we need to talk about the Oscars. This was Oscar week. It's already a couple of days ago, of course. And um, I was very happily surprised with the overall let's say, atmosphere around the Oscars. Of course, last time, it was super controversial uh, with the, the the slap on stage and then also a ton of movies that I had not seen and really didn't care for that much. They also did something super controversial last time um, in that not every award was broadcast. So, uh, the, so they snubbed like the people in, I think, editing and uh, sound engineering and like what they call the lower grade Oscars. And, and so they, didn't, they, they were afraid that if they would transmit that live on TV that a lot of people wouldn't care for those categories and would not watch. But of course, that is just as much part of movie making as the stars. In fact, I would even dare to say, and I, I say this as someone who works in the industry, an editor is much more important than, um, for instance, supporting characters or supporting role. Um, you can have a fantastic actor, but if you have got a lousy editor, that entire performance can fall flat. Um, things like sound design, it's so overlooked how important sound design is. How much, like you have to imagine if you're watching a movie, none of the sounds that you hear, footsteps, environmental sounds, music in the background, none of that was there on set. So the only thing they capture on set, if you, for instance, you see a scene, you remember um, uh, the solo movie, right? Star, um, with, with um, uh, what's his name? Well, anyway, the, the, the guy who uh, plays a younger um, Han Solo. At one time there is this um, reunion with Kira so they've been friends they've got separated for half of the movie and then they encounter each other again during a party where also the party is is organized by the main villain of the story and so you've got lots of aliens walking around there chattering and doing all the all the voices and the sounds and the gurgling and whatnot. There is a like a, a band playing in the background. You have the music, you hear the glasses. There's this little R2D2 droid that 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 well, not well, an R2 unit that uh, serves drinks. Um, even the servo motors of the 3PO uh, droids. <laughs> no, None of that sound was there. It's all added in later. Why? You cannot have music on a set while you are shooting the conversation because then you cannot cut it anymore. Every time you make a cut, you will hear the music jump. So when you see, you see people dancing, for instance, to music or even singing like, a, like a, an actor who is pretending to be a, a singer on stage, none of that music is there. All added later, and and the sounds that you hear, the footsteps, the uh, even in animation. Oh, no, of course, the, in animation you kind of take it for granted. You watch an episode of The Bad Batch, and they're entering like an old spaceship, and you hear the clanking and the echo. The the voices even have echo. All of that is sound design, and without that, it would you wouldn't be able to watch that movie. So 
I'm so happy that this year they did air every single award moment. So also the editors, the costume people, the people of makeup, uh, sound design, music, it, it was all done on stage. And I really enjoy I did I haven't seen the entire show of course because uh, I'm in the Netherlands and it's in the middle of the night plus I don't think that we have a channel that is available to me that airs it live and so I I watched the kind of the summaries and the the snippets later on uh on um uh, on YouTube but uh I I really enjoyed it this year so let me go over some of the winners um, best Picture, of course, one of my favorite movies of the year. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, you may have to go back in the archives a couple of months uh, for my review, but I, I thought it was a fantastic movie. It had a heart. It, 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 the storytelling was so original. And that movie was made during, like, at the summit of COVID. Like, everybody was at home. So this entire movie was shot with a very limited amount of people on set because of COVID restrictions, and it was edited completely at home, they, on, on like Premiere Pro, on, on just prosumer type of software. It's so amazing what they've been able to pull off. And a lot of the effects that you see are a mix between clever editing and practical effects. It, it, it really um, is worth your time to kind of check out the behind the scenes uh, stuff or listen to a couple of interviews there's an interview with the with the editor who actually won an oscar for uh, for editing um on a podcast that i uh, listen to from time to time i think it is a hollywood reporter if i'm not mistaken um, <clears throat> can i find that real quick for you because that was a fantastic interview where the guy is like super tired and he's being interviewed like the day after uh, the, uh, the the Oscar night, so he is really tired. But I think that the um, interviewer does a really great job putting him at ease and um, uh, asking some really cool questions. Uh, and, and so you hear how that movie got made, and it's just incredible to hear what the overall atmosphere was among the, the people that made the movie, the... the Everybody was so kind. It wasn't at all the typical Hollywood pr production where it's all about the money, it's all about, you know, pushing people. This was a crew that really cared for themselves. And the, the movie is about that. The movie is about having heart for each other and, uh, um, you know, going beyond our, our um, economic transa transactions or the... Um, uh, transactional relationships and, and it's a discovery of what true friendship and true loyalty is. The podcast that I mentioned is called Behind the Screen and it is a podcast from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, so just look at the interview with Paul Rogers who won an Oscar for the editing of Everything Everywhere All at Once. I, I thought being, you know, editing myself as well, fantastic to hear kind of how that movie got made. Best actor, Brandon Fraser. Of course, everybody was rooting for this guy. Uh, this is his definitive comeback. I haven't seen The Whale yet, but I've seen some of the interviews with him on talk shows and, and, and late night shows. And Brandon is just a, a great guy. Again, such a, such, such a great heart. Best actress, Michelle Yeoh. Uh, Malaysian Chinese, 
um, groundbreaking. This should have happened years ago already, but um, this is such an important win. Uh, also for her role in Everything Everywhere All at Once. But most of us knew her from Star Trek, from Discovery, from the first season, and I think also the second season, where she plays like a, a darker version of herself. Um, I, you know, maybe this is one of the reasons that Discovery got canceled. They cannot possibly afford her right now anymore. She's so famous. The first time I saw her was in Crouching Dragon what is it? Ah, Crouching Dragon Flying something. Anyway, I watched that movie when I was, I think when I was still in seminary. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That was the title of the movie. Um, and and that, that was, she, she was still unknown at the time in the Western world. She was already very famous in, in Asia. Um, and then uh, more and more she started to, to do roles in big big budget productions and well everything everywhere all at once is finally recognition for her awesome acting capacity uh best director uh, daniel kwan and daniel scheinert in everything everywhere all at once so these two apparently are just great great guys um so I'm, I'm glad for them that they won it's, it's deserved best supporting actor of course this was this was the most emotional moment of the entire evening. It was Kehu Kwan, everything, everywhere, all at once. But of course, he plays the little boy in the second Indiana Jones movie. And um, to see him hug Harrison Ford after he won the Oscar was like, okay, this, this makes everything in the universe uh, good again. This, this, this is what you... This is what you want to see on an evening like this. Uh, and, and his speech was so emotional. And he's just such a radiant guy and so happy to, to be able to do this. And so, I don't know, we need more people like him <laughs> in the world. And in a movie, he plays a similar character in many ways. Um, wonderful. Best Supporting Actress, Jamie Lee Curtis, also for her unrecognizable performance in Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm a huge fan of Jamie Lee Curtis and all the roles that she, she played in the past. Um, and, and I think she was amazing. And I, I, I had to pinch myself like, is that her? And what, that's what acting is all about, playing something that is so different from the person that you are in real life. International film, I haven't seen it yet, All Quiet on the Western Front. I've heard some good uh, rumors. This is a remake of a classic movie. Um, a German movie, I think, a German production. Best animated feature, also so in agreement with that. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Uh, an amazing, amazing version of that story, especially compared to the clunker that Disney made in their live-action remake of, of Pinocchio, which I think did not work at all. At least not for me. I have to be careful because the other day I did a review of, of Wakanda Forever and I said it didn't work. I should have added it didn't work for me because it's always a personal thing. But yeah, uh, adapted best adapted uh, or best original screenplay again. Everything everywhere all at once. Adapted screenplay. Women talking. Haven't heard of it. Visual effects. The only Oscar for this movie. Avatar: The Way of the Water. That was surprising. I thought that movie would win a lot more rewards because it's been such a box office success. But yeah, I guess it's yeah. Visual effects. Sure, why not? But uh, otherwise, 
not much praise for that movie. Original score, Volker Bertelman, All Quiet on the Western Front, second Oscar for that movie. John Williams uh, was there as well. He's been nominated more than any composer in in history for the Academy Awards. Uh, but he so he wrote the music for The Fablements, which is a, I think a movie about uh, the life of uh, of Steven Spielberg. But he didn't won he didn't win. Not that he really needs another Oscar. <laughs> Original song Nadu Nadu from RRR. Don't know, haven't heard of it. Documentary a documentary about Navalny, which of course is very topical with the war in Ukraine. Documentary short subject, The Ele- Elephant Whisperers. Um, hope, hope I get to see this one day. Cinematography, James Friend, All Quiet on the Western Front, third Oscar for that movie. Costume design, the only Oscar for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And of course, yeah, that, that's one of the good things that I appreciated of, of Wakanda Forever is just the amazing costumes, especially on in Wakanda. Um, a, a lot of the other stuff, the action stuff, is just CGI. It's kind of generic, but uh, yeah. Animated short, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. Live action short, An Irish Goodbye. Uh, film editing, again, Everything Everywhere All at Once. So deserved. It's an amazing edit. Sound, Top Gun Maverick, the only Oscar for that movie. Yeah, I guess. Airplane sounds, sure, why not? Didn't care that much for that movie, as you know. Production design, All Quiet on the Western Front, fourth Oscar. Makeup and hairstyling, The Whale. Um, and, of course, the, the the transformation of Brandon Fraser into this, this very uh, more-than-obese um, character. Um, yeah, deserved. Definitely deserved. So none of these Oscar make me go like, really? Again, that's so political. That's so uh, predictable. No, I think these were all well-deserved. And if you haven't seen Everything Everywhere all at once yet, let this be the final push for you to go check it out. All right, let's talk about Star Wars. Because, of course, we are promised some big revelations in London. Now, the biggest revelation that I'm hoping for, but I'm also a bit afraid for, is, of course, what's going to be the next Star Wars movie. I touched upon this last week in the break. Um, And from the four movies that were supposed to be in development, only two remain. And so it's the uh, Taika Waititi movie. Nobody knows where that is in the process and then you've got that other movie that would take place after the the sequel trilogy now the sequel trilogy of course was was controversial um and not loved by all star wars fans but let's be honest what is universally loved by star wars fans nowadays <laughs> i guess that star wars suffers from the same problems that most big franchises suffer from uh, there is always a, a, a certain part of the fans that is disappointed or sometimes even entitled and they want something totally different from what they got. Um, But I think it makes sense for Star Wars to go beyond the timeline of the Skywalker nine movies. And I think that it would be also smart to bring back a few characters from the sequel trilogy, uh, notably Daisy Ridley, I mean, she she has expressed her interest in 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 taking on the role of Ray once more. Um, she definitely has the the 
the the time to do it. Let's not forget, a lot of these actors have very very uh, busy schedules, and so you can you can hope for a television ser- series uh, with you know about Lando. But the the thing is, you know, the actor is not available for for years to come. So simple things like that make it impossible. To even though for fans it was like yeah, that would be uh, the obvious thing to do, but it, there's also a practical part of this, and I think that Daisy Ridley um, is is not yet the type of celebrity that you know plays in five movies every year. So, and I think her story arc in the sequels invites an a elaboration, specifically because of, of of the you know the crazy writing process of the sequels. So one of the major reasons i think why the sequels don't hold together as well as the original trilogy for instance is that there was no bigger plan jj abrams started the trilogy and he handed it over but he didn't there was no map for all three movies and so ryan johnson took the 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 story into a totally different and and even contrary uh direction from what jj abrams was trying to do and then J.J. Abrams was brought it back in to kind of still tie it all back together, but he has said multiple times that he did not know that that would be his job. If he had known that he was going to be the one who would tie up the trilogy, he would have planned more in advance. And so this is why some of those story beats feel so artificial and so contrived and a little bit deus ex machina. Like all of a sudden Ray supposed to be the granddaughter of Palpatine. Seriously, really? I mean... I don't mind. It's the movie. It is what it is. I'll take it. There are so many improbable things in Star Wars. Why would this one bother me? You know, I don't mind. And I think that that her performance was 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 good, um, as well as anyone. I I I personally really enjoy the entire trilogy, the sequel trilogy, especially knowing under how much pressure um, and with so much of Disney still not knowing what they wanted with Star Wars, that I think, you know, it's pretty good how it turned out. But especially the character of Rey, I think, could um, really benefit from ulterior development. Um, In the movie, she's the same character, basically, over these three movies. Um, Whereas I think she's she's, um, an actress that could do much more with that role. But then, of course, you need to let go of that idea that every Star Wars movie thing should be a tentpole trilogy thing. So maybe maybe that's what's going to be announced. Personally, I think that that has the biggest chance of being the, the, the one announcement that will rock the, the Star Wars galaxy. <laughs> you know, if, if there's not going to be a movie announcement the next celebration is going to be two, three years from now. It's too late. They have to give us fans something to look forward to. You cannot say, well, because of the pandemic, we focused on television. That's not an excuse anymore. So even though the project itself may be still in early stages, and you know they have promised us a movie for, I think, the end of 2024, which would be very quickly already, um, even if they push that a little bit further into the future, the announcement needs to come in London. I'm, I'm 
series. Another announcement that I think they will make, this is a prediction, this is not, not based on any factual insight knowledge at all, but I think they would be stupid if they wouldn't announce it, is a sequel to Obi-Wan Kenobi. We are going to get a second season. Why do I think that? Well, numbers. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the television series, has been one of the most successful television series of all Star Wars. The Mandalorian, this third season that we I am enjoying very much, I think it's the best season so far, story-wise, the way it looks. Oh my gosh. <gasps> I'm blown away by the sudden jump in quality of The Mandalorian. It's, it's, oh, we saw Coruscant the other day. And it was like, this is the best, it's, it's the best version of Coruscant that I've ever seen. It, it's just so incredible that this is television. And they're, they're, <laughs> it's just mind-blowingly good. However, the numbers are not there, at least not yet. And who knows why? Maybe they waited for, for too long. The thing is, the numbers do count. All these streaming platforms have to make money. They have to make sure that they invest in things that really pay off in terms of the number of, of uh, you know, new new uh, subscribers or, or, or keeping current subscribers on board. Um, and so you can make a, f a really great television series like Andor. There, there's a lot of critical acclaim, but apparently in terms of numbers, it's a slow burner. Maybe it's a long tail thing and once we get season two people will go back and, and watch season one so i'm definitely uh confident that that andor is, is such high quality storytelling that it will find its audience over time but it wasn't the massive big success that that disney expected it to be from the first moment um but obi-wan kenobi and the book of boba fett both these two series have been massive for Disney in terms of, of viewership. And so, Ian McGregor and Hayden Christensen are going to be there at the Star Wars celebration. This has been announced and confirmed. They're going to be on stage. Why bring them in if it's just to reminisce about Obi-Wan Kenobi? They did that last year in Anaheim. No. Obi-Wan... <laughs> has been such a major success. Even McGregor has said, I'm, I'm in if, if there's a good story. Hayden Christensen obviously is in because for him, this whole experience of doing Obi-Wan Kenobi and seeing the reception that he got by the fans uh, at Star Wars Celebration, it was just so healing for him because there's been so much criticism of his role of Anakin in, in, the, in the prequel trilogy. And then he said multiple times that the whole story arc of Anakin as it has been developed in the Clone Wars is what actually, you know, basically re reinstated his role. And, and, and I think uh, the enthusiasm that he felt, and both of them actually, Ian McGregor has also said that, uh, that was so heartwarming to get that super enthusiastic reception by the fans today that wasn't there during when the prequels were launched. I got a lot of criticism. Um, th for him, that was, for the both of them, 
that is also because those two roles have been developed so much in the Clone Wars. And so it would be foolish if you have two actors that are so eager to step back into their roles. You've, you've, they're still able to play those roles convincingly. You know, the, the big fight that they have, the lightsaber fight in, in the first season, that was not... They didn't use software to rejuvenate both actors' faces. They just used makeup. That's how fit these guys are. And, and you know, we have the story of Leia in the first season. Obviously, you got to do a second season focused on Luke or anything. But this is, this is just guaranteed success. And they can use all the knowledge that they now have. Plus, also, the fact that we no longer live with this weight of the, of the COVID measures... They could make this thing fly. And I think that in hindsight, had they known how successful Obi-Wan Kenobi would be for them, they would have invested more into that first season. So I, I would, honestly, I would think it'd be so stupid to not announce season two of Obi-Wan Kenobi. What about the book of Boba Fett? You know that I had mixed feelings about it. I liked it. It was kind of... The Mandalorian season two and a half at one point. But overall, I think it was very entertaining and a show that was relatively cheap for them to make. Um, I think there is more potential to do with that story. Um, but I'm a little bit hesitant because I don't know if... Um, especially the way they ended that story... For a number of fans, me included, it was a little bit disappointing. It felt as if they kind of rushed it a bit too much. There, were, there was a lot of potential in the first half of the season, and then the ending didn't really work that well for me. I think that it's mostly by, because they just didn't use all the opportunity there was story-wise. Maybe this has to do because it was filmed during covid so again, maybe because the success of Boba Fett, uh, the, most of the fans are like, okay, now we've seen how Boba Fett survived, and but now let us see like a badass Boba Fett. We need him to see like back in into his prime, and and uh, he's he's not been very menacing in in this uh, first season. So maybe I I I, I give it a, like a fifty fifty percent. I think the reason they could do it is because it is now an established property. So they don't have to make people enthusiastic. They, 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 the fans already know who this, this you know, current day Boba Fett is. Um, and especially because I think they can do a better job than in the first season, maybe it could work. The, 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 you know. or, or maybe they'll just say, well, we need to... Focus just on on one or two television series. We still have season two of Andor. If we're going to do Obi Wan plus a movie, that's all we can do. We'll do some, some animation. You know, animation is a totally different uh, set of people that work on that. So, uh, but I would think you know Boba Fett's season two. Just based on the numbers, I think it would be probably economically the best thing to do. It would be a wise thing to do. Uh, then we still have, of course, Ahsoka, the Acolyte. That's all wait and see. They're not going to announce anything there. Maybe, maybe if they're very bold, they will announce like a renewal of Ahsoka. 
because they're happy with the results of the first season. But that's something that we don't play a part in. But for the rest, I think they're just going to wait for audience reactions. They thought that The Mandalorian three season three would be uh, a massive success from the get-go. Apparently, that's not been the case. So, you know, even Disney cannot predict the future. Hmm. Always in motion, the future, future is. <clears throat> Too long talked we have about Star Wars. It's time to move on. Time it is. Still need to learn how to invert those phrases. <laughs> Catholics rock! And it's time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch. This is the place where we tell you all you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? All righty. Let's talk about Pope Francis. Because it's ten years ago that he was elected. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. When I heard that on the news, I, I had it was so weird. So it's the 10-year anniversary of the papacy of uh, Pope Francis. And the, the first thing that came to mind was, has it been only 10 years? Because it feels like he's been there so <laughs> for so long. And the second thought was the opposite of that. It's like, wow, is that already 10 years ago? Feels like a couple of years ago. The, the, the second thing is because I was there, And I have such vivid memories of that entire uh, week where I was there um, monitoring the, 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 the smoke, you know, the, the black smoke that came from the chimney. I was doing some filming, I think, for, for television or maybe not. Maybe I was just there on my own accord. Um, I wanted to be there because it's, it's a tradition. I started podcasting during the death of John Paul II and the election of Pope Benedict. That's how I kind of um, learned the ropes of, of this whole podcasting thing. And, and I wouldn't be doing this, what I'm doing right now, if it hadn't been for the, that papal transition so many years ago. Um, and so I returned for the election of uh, Pope Benedict. I was podcasting right underneath the balcony. And then, of course, when the, the conclave unexpectedly Uh, began because because uh, Pope Benedict retired. I wanted to be there as well. It's just a once in a well, actually not a once in a lifetime, but once in a decade event. Um, and and Rome is just sizzling and bubbling, and it's so full of energy during a conclave. It is an amazing time to be there, and I would do it in a heartbeat. Like if they tell me tomorrow there's going to be a new conclave. I'm just booking a flight. I don't care how much it costs. Even if I have to take my bike and go all the way, ride all the way to Rome, I want to be there because it's, it's just incredible. And it's 10 years ago. And I, I was already filming at that time. I had my camera with me. The first time I was only podcasting because filming, eh, that was just, I wasn't working for television at the time. Um, So I, I did film the whole lead-up to the election. I remember filming on the night itself. I had pretty bad cameras at the time. I think I was just using a, a, like the Sony M, M50, MX, no, what was it? I don't know, like an old-fashioned old, old -fashioned Sony camera. Um, 
that was not very good for filming at night. And of course, the election itself, the presentation of Pope Francis was in the middle of the night. Well, late evening. It was raining. It was dark. I could zoom in, but man, the image is so grainy and uh, Nowadays, I would probably invest specifically in a new camera to film it in a better way. And of course, we would all be filming in 4K, so you can even zoom in digitally, right? So anyway, but then I remember the, especially the aftermath, once he was elected, um, I, I was able to join um, the, first, the first audience, the papal audience in the Paul VI uh, Hall, and it was just for journalists. And of course, since I was there in a certain eh, semi-official capacity as a uh, someone who worked for for Dutch television, I was able to to be there as well. So it was my first encounter with his charism because he definitely has a lot of natural charism. He made people laugh. He was very, um, very personal. I remember that he would walk into the crowd and just talk to these journalists and ask them about their family. And some of them had actually taken their family with, with them. And it was such a different style compared to Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict. And he felt from the get-go like, almost like someone you, you, you have known your entire life. Someone's very approachable. And he's shown to... That was not just a, a, a one-time thing. Uh, I think it, one of the most characteristic aspects of his papacy um, is, is how approachable he is. Um, and uh, Not just for his fans and his admirers, but also for, for his critics. Now, some of you may say, well, what about the Dubia and some of the cardinals that were in disagreement with him and he never spoke to them? Yeah, he is also strategic. And sometimes he knows that if I react... And I'm, I become part of of the conflict, and you know, uh, sometimes I will just not react at all. It's it's a it's more strategy, I think, than than part of it. some some media try to depict Pope Francis as a tyrannical person who is just you know um, playing a role of being a, a kind grandfatherly figure in 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 public, uh, but behind the scenes he's just this evil, vindictive strict, uh, tyrannical guy. <laughs> I don't buy that. I mean, I've, I've been in Rome so many years, and so I've seen this Pope up close and personal many times. This is not someone who, you know, is just playing a role. Uh, th this is what he is. However, he also has a responsibility, and he's a Jesuit, so he, he uses certain strategies in how to handle certain problems, and sometimes he won't touch the problem at all. That's also a strategy, to not do something. Um, the, the one thing, there's a lot you can say, and, and of course, the pa this past week, we've seen a lot of evaluations going from, oh, it's the most horrible pope ever, to this is a, a quasi-saint. I think none of these characterizations... Um, can, can fully do justice to what this papacy will mean in the future. In fact, I think that you can only truly weigh the importance uh, or the value of a papacy um, at least like 50 years after that papacy has ended. Think of what is happening currently in Poland, for instance, with the legacy of John Paul II. Of course, John Paul II was considered many years as a, as a saint, and he's even been proclaimed a saint, uh, but especially by, by, by the, his Polish 
um, compatriots. He was, you know, he was untouchable. It was so popular. However, this past year, more and more reports are starting to emerge that at least questioning the way in which he dealt with uh, with known abusers. And so there is much more con- controversy about his person and about the role that he played in, if, well, not maybe not covering up, but definitely not acknowledging the gravity of the problem of abuse in, in his own Polish church, but also worldwide. And, and now there's a lot of debate, and there's going to be new research. Finally, the bishops of Poland have agreed to, um, I think, an independent inquiry. Uh, and, and this is also happening in other parts of the world. I think in Portugal also, the bishops have now agreed to an investigation. But for a long time, this was like unheard of, and of course not. I mean, John Paul II is, is a saint, is an official saint. So he can't have done anything wrong. Well, that's where I think <laughs> people don't always understand what sainthood really means. It's it's not because that person has lived a perfect life or hasn't made any mistakes. Otherwise, you could probably scratch like 80% of the saints. The saints are people that, even though they know they are sinners, are trying to follow Jesus in everything that they do. Um, and so the... It's uh, what I say. What I wanted to say is that the papacy and the role of John Paul II in the history of the Church is now currently being recalibrated to a certain extent, and maybe the end result will be less positive than it was. I don't know. I'm not in, in part of that investigation. I'm not a journalist. I'm not uh, a researcher. But the whole th- idea that that right now in Poland. A lot of people are doing new research that is even condoned by the bishops into his legacy, into the way that he would deal with with abuse. <coughs> is something that, if we had known this around the time that people were clamoring for his his canonization, perhaps the church would have thought um, thought it over a little bit more and would have waited. There is there is a rule in the church, that you cannot canonize someone uh, earlier than 50 years after the death of that person. And John Paul II has uh, um, ignored that rule, for instance, when he was canonizing uh, Mother Teresa. Um, Pope Benedict, I think, has uh, sometimes not applied that rule or gave dispensation and uh, same thing for Pope Francis. So <clears throat> I think we have to be careful not to not to try to go faster than history. If that if that's if you see what I mean, sometimes it just takes time to fully understand uh, a, an era. Historians are also much more careful if they have to pronounce themselves about current affairs compared to when they talk about something you know a situation two centuries ago. And so I would I would very much be in favor of holding off on judging too harshly or too jubilantly, is that a word, about the papacy of John Paul, uh, papacy of, of Pope Francis, because it's still, it's still in progress. And it's, it's, it's only in hindsight that we can truly judge how much a, a pope has meant in a positive or in a negative way 
to the church, and usually it's it's a mix of both, right? Um, what what I can say personally about Pope Francis, one of the things that I uh, most appreciate of him is that it, it's um, someone who has a very pastoral style, um, and uh, the way he encounters, the way he uh, meets people, and talks to them, makes himself available to them, uh, is for me a huge example uh, that I truly desire to emulate. Another thing that I appreciate of him is uh, that he doesn't seem to be afraid of criticism or of his critics, um, and in, in actually invites people to to voice their criticism and to voice their objections, um, because he feels that for the church it is vital for the future of the church to be a listening church because the Holy Spirit doesn't only speak through prelates, uh, through bishops and popes and, and, and priests and deacons and religious people. No, the Holy Spirit speaks through all of us. And it's, it's in this effort of listening to the voice of the Spirit that talks to us, through us, that we can find the, the way that God is pointing us is not just something that is um, anchored in in just dogma or or theology no the church is a living family and so yes dogma is very important theology is very important but so is the voice of the faithful and i feel that that is where probably a lot of the innovation is coming from Right now, already, the church is renewing itself in so many places of the world. And we should be attentive to that, especially theologians should be attentive to that. And the, I, for me, the heart of being a theologian is to, is to have the capacity to listen and to pray about what, what you perceive the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to be doing. To, to pray about the signs of, of times uh, instead of just bury yourself in... In, in, in doctrine and in, in, in rationalizations. Um, it's, it's always and, and in the Catholic uh, Church and in the Catholic tradition. Never either this or that. Keep that in mind. All right, let's move on. A quick visit to the kitchen. I just jumped over the book segment. Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. I just wanted to give you one tip. If you ever make pasta bolognese, you know bolognese is with um, with beef, ground ground beef, either pork or or uh, 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 or what is it? Beef. Um, what is the other? The pork and okay. I, I definitely lack vocabulary here. <laughs> anyway, you see what I mean. A mixture of beef and pork. Or is pork? No, pork is not beef, right? Oh, gosh. I get so confused. Anyway, I didn't want to talk about meat. I wanted to talk about the ragu. Because this is essential. And it, it's it's a trick that I did I wasn't aware of. I've been cooking pasta for, for my entire adult life. And there was this kind of like way before I was interested in learning how to cook. I would often make like macaroni, with uh, what I thought was a, was a bolognese sauce. So it was ground beef or pork um, and some veggies, usually carrot and celery and, uh, gosh, some, some other, some onions, 
and that sort of stuff, plus tomato sauce, right? But then I would just mix that together for a couple of minutes until the, the, the veggies were cooked, and, uh, and then I would just mix it with the macaroni. That was my big mistake. To make a good bolognese ragu, you need time. I saw this on a video on TikTok, and I was like, oh, why, didn't I, why didn't I know this? So the, the trick of a good ragu is, first you start off with the meat, of course, and with the onions and the garlic. You put it all in, you make sure it's nice and brown, and then you add the finely chopped veggies. It's not that much. You don't have to pour in like 50 sorts of veggies. Like you're in the Netherlands. If you, you can actually buy in every supermarket like a macaroni spaghetti um, kit. It's called a kit. <laughs> that alone should make you wary. And it's got like bell pepper and red onion, already pre-chopped. Usually has a lot of leek and um, a, a bit of carrot. What else would they put in there? That's about it, I think. No, usually no celery. And so I, I thought, well, okay, so that's what you're supposed to use. No, if you look at the recipes for ragu, it's it's usually much simpler than that. I, for instance, like bell pepper? Mm, no, not necessarily. Uh, <laughs> red onion? You could just use white onion. The thing is, what you have to do is you you first cook uh, or you um, yeah you, you cook the, the you don't cook the veggies you put them in the in the oil the same oil that you use to um, to prepare the the meat and the onions and the garlic um, and then you add the tomato sauce or or even like whole tomatoes or like tomatoes in water whatever and then the magic begins then you have to let it simmer for two to three hours. And the, if you want to make it even better, you have, to not, you have to use it the day after so that all these flavors can blend. Now, of course, from a nutritional point of view, if you let it simmer for so long, a lot of the vitamins will, will, will disappear. But what you gain is the flavor. So I did this the other day. I made a ragu. I let it, kept it on the fire. I think it was last Saturday. I kept it on the fire for three hours. And it was the best ragu bolognese that I've ever made. Not the, the best one I've ever had. I have to go back to Rome for that. But definitely the best that I've ever made. And it was with the same exact ingredients that I've always used. I just didn't add the ingredient of time. So that is the secret to a good ragu bolognese. Time. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Okay, so pork is pig and beef is cow. Thank you, Margot, in the chat for <laughs> clarifying that. It's because the name in Dutch is gehakt, which basically is ground. The, the, the ground beef, ground pork, we all call it ground. And so in my mind, it's the same word. As, that's why I was thinking, is it beef also for the pork? No, it's pork, beef, pig, cow. Okay, I'll remember this. Let's talk about books. I read two books that I really enjoyed. One is by Neil Sh Schusterman, who is the author of the Scythe 
trilogy. Actually, there are more books based on the world of Scythe. I think I talked about this uh, a while ago. It's a story where it, there's a world where nobody dies anymore, thanks to advances in, in medical science. But people still have to die. But now it's a group of specialized people called Scythes, and they decide and execute those who are eligible for death. And uh, it's a very original story. Um, well written. It's a kind of the young adult category of book, so it's, it's uh, an easy read. Um, and I found another book um, called Dry, and I was intrigued by the premise. So the, the story Dry is about California. I've been to California last year, so I finally know what it looks like over there. So... <laughs> It's a part of California is just desert. It's so dry and it's so hot. It was so warm that I couldn't go out for a run, which is like, how can people live here if you cannot just go outside? It was so incredibly hot. And while I was there, Rob told me about the huge water issues that they have, especially during the summer when all the basins are, are dried up and the rivers that used to flow through the, the desert, there's no water there anymore. And so every year it gets worse. Uh, it's, it's heating up. And yet that area is still expanding. Lots and lots of businesses are, are building there. People want to live there because of the economy. But if you look at the climate, nobody should live there because it's way too dry. This story called Dry actually pushes that a little bit further. And then talks about a world where all of a sudden this water crisis becomes so acute that there is no water coming from the taps anymore. And they don't specify that much uh, what's going on on a, a national level, but they kind of make it clear that they've been kind of <laughs> neglecting this problem for many years because of economic reasons. You know, oh, we'll, we'll deal with that next year. You know, and so and now it's too late, and there is an entire uh, state that is without drinking water, and it's it's it's, it's such a big uh, state and so many people that the the national government is unable to 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 resolve the situation, and so uh, the story is about these kids that are struggling to survive not just because they are lacking water but it's because what the situation does to people all of a sudden there's almost a civil war going on about water people are raiding the supermarkets and people that you know just live together peacefully for for decades now all of a sudden become sworn enemies and and lethal enemies even it's a thrilling story very riveting and actually <laughs> You know, not that unrealistic. Um, I like the various characters in the story. Um, so these are all teens, so their behavior is not always the the most rational behavior. But that's kind of what I like. They they do react as teens, um, and and some some of them make some very questionable choices along the way. But also, that's that's part of. You know, the story is part of what people do and the crazy... And so there's this underlying question. This lack of water is not only what it does to us, to our bodies and to our chances of survival, it's also what does it do to our society. This war about water. And you know, in, in some parts of the world, uh, especially on the continent of Africa, of course, this is a real thing. 
Water is um, is more precious than gold. So anyway, um, a very very good read. I, I just couldn't stop turning the pages. So high rec- highly recommended by me. Second book that I'm currently reading, and it's also a page turner, is a, one of the big tr- books by uh, Brandon Sanderson. And this is the first book of the Mistborn trilogy. So I'm listening to the audio book. Um, year, years, well, not years ago, but a long time ago, I think Samuel uh, gifted me the, the audiobook version of that. Um, and I'm listening to it um, in, in parts of it in English, the, the original recording for Audible, and part of it in Dutch. And it's, it's funny, the, the, so the American version uh, or the, the, the American voice actor is very like, gravelly voice and it's uh, very authoritative and uh, very, I don't know, it's, it's a nice voice to listen to. And the Dutch version is read by a female uh, voice actress. And she has a, a more neutral uh, delivery. But for some reason, it's so much easier to follow in Dutch. And it's not because my, my native language is Dutch. It's also the delivery. Because it's so neutral, it helps me to focus more. And this first book, so Mistborn is, is a story. It's, it's taking place in a world that... Sanderson created for a lot of his novels. It's a world that is a bit post-apocalyptic in the sense that that, that there are only vague mythical memories of a time when the earth was still covered in grass and trees and flowers. Now it's all like raining ash from the skies and we don't know exactly why, but everything is extremely um, degraded and uh, there are the noble the noblemen, and they are exploiting um, the simple people that are working almost as slaves. And then there is, uh, of course, a rebellion brewing. This is always what you get in these novels. Um, Some people stand up and want to overthrow the last kingdom, which is uh, referring to the the kingdom of this, there's this, this, ultimate ruler who is rumored to be even a godlike creature uh, not creature if it if it's a god it can't be a creature but anyway <laughs> this godlike entity and then of course you know a lot of the mythology around that supreme ruler is is probably false because if you're truly a divine being then it it why would you exploit people for financial gain, right? So there's something really fishy going on there in terms of religion. Um, and the, the, the heroes of the story are uh, humans that have um, the ability to use the, the metallic elements that they are actually, they're part of their body. Of course, we all have iron in our blood, Right. If you are unlucky, you can have even other metals in your body that are actually poisonous, like lead. Anyway, this story is about uh, people that can manipulate those elements and and either push or pull on those elements to to modify their environment. For instance, they can use a, a metal bar and they push against the metal, even if it's on the ground, and they will fly up. And then they can pull onto something other, another type of metal to move, to propel themselves forward. They can also use copper, for instance, inside their bodies to um, mitigate the, the effects of their magic so that other people that have that same ability cannot 
track them, uh, stuff like that. It's a very, very original magic system. And they can like drink like magic potions, but the, the magic potions are made out of tiny little particles of of these various metallic elements that they that they then uh, uh, they drink it and then they can burn these metals. In fact, every evening they have to burn all the metals, otherwise they will become poisonous, like what most metals would would do to uh, regular bodies. It's a, it's a really great story. Um, I'm I'm surprised to see how much the magic system is part of the narrative. The, the only downside of Mistborn, the first book, is that it is still creating the world it's it's a painting and picture so it can get a little bit uh political it's it, it's doing a lot of uh world building which it's especially in the first half of the book kind of slows it down a little bit but there's also a lot to enjoy um it's, it's very well written brandon sanderson is, is a masterful storyteller and of course there are many follow-up books that are apparently, according to the fans, just as good as the first one. So I'm hooked, um, and I can't wait to... And this is one of those big books, you know, like hundreds of pages. And yet, because it's so well done, I, th I find it a much more enjoyable read than, for instance, The Wheel of Time, which is also huge books. But a lot of it is so... Uh, I mean, you could edit down a 600-page book to 200 pages, and you wouldn't lose much. Whereas with Sanderson... I don't know, it just flows. It's such a natural storyteller. Um, yeah, really enjoying it. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Okay, there's there's first one more thing I have to say about the ragu. Uh, that this is one of the advantages of having a live chat room while I'm recording the show. I do actually get instruction and education while I'm recording my podcast. So I was I was saying that I've always learned that if you cook vegetables, um, it will destroy the vitamins. Uh, apparently, that's just not true. Margot explains that. Um, if yes, if you boil vegetables and then you throw away the water, that will also uh, d d deprive you of a, a lot of the nutrients in in the veggies. However, for the ragu, I'm simmering the the veggies, so the nutrients are cooked out of the veggies, but they stay in the sauce. I had no idea. So wow, so that that is actually still very nutritious. I'm glad to hear that. Makes me even more motivated to make. <laughs> to make bolognese pasta. All right, let's talk about technology. Um, a few things. Disney has now again demonstrated this real lightsaber technology that they've developed for the Disneyland parks. And you know that there's this expensive hotel experience. Um, and I've seen some videos where you, you, can, you can see uh, the actors using uh, those real lightsabers. However, there's a trick. So there, there is a confrontation. So you are part of this hotel experience and you're, you're immersed for a couple of days in a story, in a Star Wars story. So there's this Ray. I think it's even supposed to be Ray, who is fighting... Is it Kylo Ren? I don't know. Anyone. It's happening on a balcony. So you're looking as a guest. You're, you're looking up. So you don't see the floor of the balcony. 
So then at one point, this Ray character comes out and she presses the on a button on the hilt of her lightsaber and, and then a blue lightsaber comes out and it looks just like in the movies. It's, it, ma- it makes the sound and everything. It's amazing. But then she kneels on the floor before she attacks and that's where a little switcheroo takes place. Then she, she holds a different lightsaber that is solid so they can actually do you know, a, a, a real lightsaber uh, jewel without destroying the apparently very fragile um, uh, lightsaber that she used just to, for the wow effect of, of actually seeing a laser beam sorting from the hills. Apparently, they've been continuing to develop this technology to make these lightsabers a little bit sturdier. And so there was another demonstration. Um, just Google it and you'll find lots of videos uh, taken from the public. And it looks amazing. It's still not going to be afford, uh, available to the general public, but it's a lot more reliable, apparently, than um, than those first tries that they uh, introduced in Disneyland a couple of years ago. Then we have to talk about Samsung's fake moon photos. The Samsung, of course, one of the biggest mobile phone developers. They um, tout their the quality of their lens system to, by telling you that you can just zoom in on the moon take a photo, and then they'll use all sorts of technology to enhance the details, and you end up with these amazing-looking moon photos. If not for for the fact that uh, smart people have now discovered that that is actually not the moon that you saw. No, it is a superimposed moon. They use AI, artificial intelligence, to recognize that you're trying to take a picture of the moon. But of course, if you've ever taken a picture of the moon, it's like so bright, you barely see any details. Well, that's where a little bit of digital help will just add those details, even if they weren't in the original photo. And the, the way they discovered this is that they took a photo from... So they took a photo of the moon, which was super blurry, no details. They, project, they, um, they then took a photo of the of the screen of the PC on which they they projected this blurry moon photo and then fed it into the phone. And the phone, as an end result, gave this super detailed, beautiful moon. So, like, those details were never in the original picture. It's just Samsung has found a way to trick you into believing that that was actually uh, photographed with uh, with the phone. Uh, I don't think that's very ethical. <laughs> Smart, but yeah. Uh, I would feel duped if I had bought uh, a Samsung phone just for the moon photos. Then, we've heard that Meta is also smart. They are working, of course, on a Twitter alternative. They see that the the, the bird side is, uh, well, not thriving, to, to, to say the least. And so now Meta is developing a Twitter alternative. And apparently it's going to be more open, more maybe something that is connected to the Fediverse, like Mastodon, which I think would be the smart thing to do. Um, so on the one hand, yeah, that's that's great. If, if, if we can get more people to a, a non-proprietary uh, platform where nobody owns the content... I think that's what Mastodon is doing very successfully, and I, I enjoy it there so much more than on than I've ever done on Twitter. Um, on the other hand, this is Meta, this is Zuckerberg. 
they are not to be trusted with personal data. Uh, just the other week, there was new, there's new proof that they have uh, broken the law for years in Europe, still storing personal information, and, and, and uh, it's the same thing over and over. Meta is so unreliable when it comes to your personal privacy. Because you're the product, right? So that's what that's what making me like I don't I don't want Meta to be involved in the future of social media. Look at what they're doing with Instagram. They're destroying that platform right now. It's crazy. Anyway, that's for another day because I need to start wrapping up. Uh, the other thing, um, uh, Meta is also uh, lobbying heavily to get TikTok banned. You've you've heard the news that a lot of governments are now banning TikTok from. Um, the mobile devices of, of people that work for the government because you don't know what happens to the data. And that's TikTok has been known for that for years now, that, that, that they're, they're very vague about when it comes to the way they use that data um, and how the Chinese government has access to all that private data. And it's just about so much... Um, sensitive data. Even if if you think, well, I don't, I'm not a spy, I'm not a, an important politician, but still, it's, it's it's also the big data that they're gathering. However, the only thing here that is problematic is that hmm, we now there are so many people that are now uh, lobbying for a ban of TikTok. So not just telling them, hey, we need to have more oversight over where this data goes, but to just Clearly, just banning it, getting it off the market. But if Meta is also heavily involved in the lobbying against TikTok, we have to keep in mind that this is a huge competitor for Meta, and Meta itself is also completely unreliable with our personal data. So (laughs) we may feel good about ourselves and about our safety if we ban TikTok, but if we don't ban the same behavior with uh, companies like Twitter and 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 Meta, you know, it's it, we're not making any advances. So this is a hu- this is a very important discussion that needs to be he- held. Uh, I think on a global level right now, and the Euro- uh, European Union is is uh, is on top of this, thankfully. And I'm not saying that TikTok isn't dangerous, but it's likewise meta is dangerous and unreliable and Twitter also to a certain extent. So, you know, one of the many reasons that I say, try out Mastodon, the water is warm, dip your toe in it. It is a really nice place to be. If you have any more questions about that, just, just ask me. I've, I've, I love it there. Anyway, it's time to wrap up. Um, we'll do that with the thought of the, of the week. And this week, um, it's a, it's something that f- uh, Padre Pio of, I always have difficulty pronouncing that word, the town where he lived, Pietrelcino, P- Padre Pio di Pietrelcino. Okay, we'll just call him Father Pio or Padre Pio. Um, canonized by Pope Francis, I think, right? A couple of years ago. Now I'm starting to doubt. Yeah, it must have been Pope Francis who canonized him. Anyway, Padre Pio of Pietrelcino said, Pray, hope, and don't worry. I like that. It's, it's, uh, 
It's a bit like the saintly version of uh, stay calm and continue to do what you were doing. But this is this is the, the Catholic way of doing that. It's just pray. So connect with God. Hope. Because that connection with God will make you invincible when it comes to, you know, the negative forces in our world. Hope because God is the source of hope. And therefore, don't worry. Never worry. Don't be afraid. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk soon. God bless.